it's highly dependent on your ability to iterate. So the first design that you do is not going to be the best design that you do. As soon as you learn to throw that first design away and kind of, you know, leave your ego at the door, that's where you'll start to really be able to build up on the design and iterate into something that's going to solve a problem elegantly, which I think that that's what design is all about. Welcome to Step Into the Sandbox, a conversational journey through the creative mind. I'm your host, David Verhano, and this is episode 10 of the podcast. Today's guest is David Martin, a website strategist focused on UX design and web development. We get to discuss how he's evolved his career over the years from web development into UX design, as well as what the process is like to even build a website from concept to execution. So uh, there's a lot of lessons along the way that he'll share, and I hope you guys enjoy it. My name is David Martin, and I build high-converting marketing websites. Uh, So I've been building websites obsessively for the past eight years and kind of trying to learn everything that I can about what it takes to make money online. I've kind of gone through the process of of learning a lot of different aspects of building websites and managing websites from designing them to developing them, to marketing them, to scaling them and really optimizing them, which is kind of what I've fallen into as my specialty now, um, just because I do have all these different areas of expertise. Uh, One of the things that I like to offer for my clients now is how to attack the holistic website strategy so that we're able to optimize it for the business goal, whatever that might be, right? Either more conversions, more affiliate sales, more of whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And for someone that's not even aware of of the world of building websites, um, you know, what's what's the simplest way that you frame it for them? You know, what's like a 30 second pitch that you tell them what you do and, and why it's important? To put it the simplest way possible, in the past, 10 years, it's gotten easier and easier to build websites to the point where you don't have to learn how to code. You don't have to design anything. You can just kind of go and pay for a service like a Squarespace or a Webflow, install a theme, and within a few clicks, you're able to start inputting content based on that theme and get your site set up. And that was really awesome when I was starting out. But what I realized is that if you want to build a successful online business, it's not exactly as easy as just going and setting up a website. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it, right? There's how are you going to acquire traffic, right? That's one thing uh, that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to building a website. Uh, how are you going to then capture that traffic once it arrives on your website? And how are you going to nurture them so that they're, going to be qualified as a leader, as a sale for your business, right? So I went through that process myself and I I set up a bunch of websites that weren't doing anything for my business. You know, it wasn't getting really any traffic. It wasn't leading to any more money. And that's kind of when I started my adventure of, okay, well, I need to learn everything there is to know about websites. And yeah, what I tell people is you can go and you can set up a website right now in just a couple minutes, but to actually have it work for you, it takes a little bit more more time and a little bit more effort than that. So yeah. that's what I do. It's a little bit 
less about setting up the website and more about you know how to implement a strategy so that your website is a an extension of your business and not just something that's sitting there collecting dust to kind of take it a step further if we're going to go into like an analogy wouldn't you say it's kind of like being an architect when it comes to building the website in the sense that a client would come to you with maybe they don't even have a website or they're going in a completely different route they they want to build it out but you're not just the person that's putting up the door frames and you know putting the plumbing of the website you're not doing the the gritty work yet you're actually focused on the framework and the architecture of of how the uh, the website gets built would you say that's an accurate way of framing it for them exactly i think that um, not only is it very similar to architecture in that way the the specialty that i have in my business is specifically around user experience design and what i like to compare it to is you could build a website with or without a blueprint the same way that you could build a house with or without a blueprint but if you build a large house without a blueprint there's a lot of things that you might miss along the way things that are not going to be properly set up for you to succeed and it's it's the same kind of thing for a house right imagine if you went and you built a house and it looks beautiful on the outside you go inside it looks beautiful you try to turn on a, a light and it turns out hey we never did the electricity for this this house so it's yeah. it's essentially useless right that's how i see uh, a lot of people approaching websites is that they they can go and they can set it up but they didn't really power it to run their business right it's just there yeah yeah and how did you get into ux ui like what led you to that specific focus how i got into ux ui was completely by accident i what i wanted to set out to do when you know i was maybe 20 years old was i wanted to figure out a way to make money on the internet that's kind of where it all started i was studying business um and i realized at some point while i was studying it every business now is a technology business whether you want to embrace that or not you're going to need technology in order to facilitate a lot of what you're going to be doing as a business right just think about how many pieces of technology you use to run your agency uh you've got your email you've got your website you've probably have an invoicing tool you probably have uh, a way to manage your clients or some sort of CRM uh so i got more and more fascinated with the idea that if you're able to learn how to build businesses on the internet that's a highly transferable skill so you're something you're going to keep forever now at that point i i essentially didn't know any web design i didn't really know very much marketing um and i didn't know anything about development so it's like fresh out of high school going through college um in high school what i wanted to do was art um so that's kind of what i've been studying since middle school up until high school uh but i realized that it's very difficult to make money as an artist if you're not a good business person hence why i enrolled in that business degree so i i wanted to find a way to incorporate my background in traditional art into what i was doing every day right so that i wouldn't just kind of throw that away um and the blend between graphic design which is what it was back then uh and business uh to me was marketing so i kind of realized okay wow well, i need to learn more about marketing how can i do that so i 
started to apply to different jobs, right? That had something to do with marketing and something to do with computers. Uh, you know, I got rejected from a bunch of them, uh, but I was lucky enough to land a job at a video game distributor uh, here in Miami. So they actually distribute video games to Latin America and Brazil and the Caribbean. And the job was essentially to make uh, little flyers, graphic flyers, so that they could send their clients via email to then go and sell games and consoles and all that good stuff. My job was essentially to take that um, graphic that was provided by the publisher and then update it in Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese. I did that for about six months until we started to realize this is not a super effective tactic anymore. It might have been effective before, right? Because the business had been around for 20 years, but people don't want to buy through email anymore. That's not really something that people want to do. What we saw a shift towards was people going and buying things online. And what that provided for the business was asynchronous communication with their clients. And what I mean by that is when you're selling to somebody or clients that are, are in different time zones, that means that your salesperson needs to be on call at every single hour of the day, right? Because when you're going to sleep, people in Singapore are waking up. And if you want to close that deal, that means that you're going to have to be on top of it, even you know at two in the morning, which was not ideal. So instead, we started to realize, hey, why don't we build a website that could kind of handle this problem for us and allow all of the customers to go and see the inventory of all the products that we had and add it to their cart and then place an order so that in the morning when the salesperson would come in, they just had to process it, right? They didn't have to go and collect all the orders and follow up via email and, and do a bunch of phone calls just to make sure that people were getting their video games in time for the releases, right? So in that process, uh, I went from designing those flyers to building a website that essentially interfaced with their point of sale system by hiring a third party that specialized in collecting uh, that backend system that they use to sell products to this new web store that we were creating in Magento, right? In that process, I was really exposed to the fact that technology could do this kind of stuff because I didn't even know well, what technology was capable of. But more importantly than that, I got to see how much money these guys were wor making working on that little connector piece. And to give you some, some idea of the difference here, I was making maybe $900 every two weeks managing the project and making sure that it moves forward and building the website so that it would connect to that backend piece. And these guys were making something like $3,000 every two weeks, right, during the, the course of that project. And in that time, I kind of said to myself, well, I kind of want to be doing what they're doing. I want to be making $3,000 every two weeks. I don't really want to be making $900 because it's, it's not enough for me to help my family. It's not enough for me to, you know, feel satisfied. Um, I was there for about two years. You know, we worked on the site, we worked on customizations. And then I realized, hey, I've learned everything that I'm going to learn here. Uh, I need to go and push myself to learn something different. One of the things that I realized in that time was I didn't understand the technology. That piece that they were building, that technology, that code, I had seen it. I understood how it worked. I even worked with them to make changes and optimize it for the business, but I didn't know how to sit down and write it and 
and how to how to get that to work. So I went and I invested, uh, I think it was like $10,000 to go into a coding bootcamp because I knew that that was something that I needed to unlock that next stage of income for me. So I went through that process. I became a full stack developer. And then I realized that I didn't want to be a developer, right? And not that I didn't want to go and, and program or work with code because I still do that and I love that. I didn't want to go and work for a large company and be a developer because they essentially have to do what they're told. By the time a project gets into your hands, everything has already been figured out, right? Mm -hmm. Or what I was experiencing a lot of is the projects would get into your hand and nothing was figured out. You just had to go and, and figure it out yourself and try to somehow describe the client's business on that website in a way that was representative of their values and their brands and their vision for the company. Mm. So I said to myself, well, there's no value in just doing the development for a company if they don't have all this other stuff figured out. And that's where I started to really dig into, well, what does it mean to go and actually carve out the experience beforehand. And that's where I started to be exposed to the concept of user experience. So user experience is about anticipating the needs of your user and balancing that against the goals and objectives of the business. So once I started to realize that that was a possibility, that that was something that I could learn, I started to really dive deep into user experience design and what it meant to, you know, work on the business, but also work on the website in a way that fueled business growth, as opposed to just taking business resources. Um, so I would say I fell in accidentally, and that's kind of how I how I ended up there. So pretty much, you you had the passion for art back in high school. You you then kind of found your way into the marketing world. And then eventually you decided you wanted to get into development by taking the coding bootcamp. Did you do that at WinCode or where was it that you actually? Uh... So I did. I did that in WinCode before there was a UX bootcamp. So I was I was like a weirdo in the class where I, I kind of wanted to, to learn the development piece. But then I was also turning around and trying to teach myself design through that entire process. Because I realized that a developer is only as good as the designer that... <laughs> put the designs together. Yeah. So in it, it, for me to be able to offer a end-to-end -end service to my clients, because again, my, my goal was to own my own internet business. In that process, I started to realize I could actually help other people with their internet businesses and that I could use all of the skill sets that I have, the art, the marketing, graphic design, uh, web development, and now user experience design uh, to be able to offer uh, a really great service for my clients. One of the things that was difficult at that point was realizing that I still had a lot to learn about running an agency. Um, so one of the things that I did at that point was I went to go work uh, an actual agency job for two years. Uh, and what that allowed me to do is kind of pick up the missing pieces for, you know, building teams and managing contractors, managing employees, uh, dealing with clients that are extremely high level and educated 
about you know technology because up until that point a lot of the people i had been working with were local businesses and those guys are not very educated in you know tech stacks or or digital marketing at large so working at this agency i got to learn about things like seo ppc right i got to learn about running social media advertising campaigns and what that would do in order to drive traffic to the website and that really reinforced for me the value of user experience because here these companies were large multi-million dollar companies like sandals for example paying this agency to go and optimize their their organic traffic but if you drive a customer to your website and then they leave and you let them leave they're probably gone forever right so all that money that you're spending in traffic acquisition it's not going to translate to success for your business without that missing component right okay. so that's where i really learned the value of user experience and and kind of filled out some of those other gaps in my knowledge for more advanced digital marketing techniques that i wasn't able to learn earlier on in my career got it um were there any industries that you focused on or that you have focused on that you particularly like or have a specialty in sure so i really like to work with agencies personally um because i i built my own agency i i'm running my own agency right now i've worked at uh digital agencies at, at the director level so i know what it's like to to be dealing with clients and to have to have a more formalized design process revision process approval process and more importantly than that i know what the alternative is like right having a process that is a mess having clients that are very difficult yeah. you know working with contractors that are not delivering the quality that you're trying to sell to your client so i see those as potential opportunities uh for my business personally uh that's why we do a lot of work with digital agencies uh the other major industry that i really enjoy which is still kind of in that same vein is uh b2b and the reason being is that selling to consumers is a little bit different consumers buy in a totally different way than businesses buy think about the last thing you bought for yourself you know a lot of times these are small impulse items that you don't even realize you bought but when you buy for a business you have to sit there and really do the research to figure out if this is going to be a good fit for you so the the level of communication that it it requires a level of sophistication in terms of user experience i think is a level above the consumer market for the most part at least with the clients that we're dealing with that have longer sales cycle than a consumer product which has a much shorter sales cycle and is normally reliant on ads right because i work with the full strategy right and i'm a designer that understands development and seo and digital marketing it makes a lot more sense to work with clients that care about that kind of stuff you know what i mean yep yep um what what would you say are some of like the biggest lessons you've learned from working in in all these different settings you've worked obviously under agencies with agencies operating your own agency throughout that process what are some of those lessons you've learned you mentioned clients that are difficult i know that that's something that you learn a lot from really for me it's i've learned to kind of trust my gut and have really difficult conversations early on in the process to save myself headache down the line and that's kind of something that 
You know, I don't think you can learn other than through experience, you know, saying yeah to clients who maybe aren't a good fit and you kind of work with them and it, it takes, you know, a toll on you mentally. Uh, it could take a 30 day project and, and put it out to, you know, 60, 90 days uh, because you're stuck in revision hell, you know, not stipulating very specifically what the scope of the project is going to be and the scope of actual revisions, you know, putting a cap on revisions, that's been a huge lesson for me. And, you know, really taking the time to to plan things early on in the process has has been a huge thing for me personally. Um, and one of the reasons why I gravitate towards user experience, uh, because it's, I can't build you a website if you don't have a plan for it. I can go on Squarespace and Webflow and I can put a, a template on there and you can plug it in with content all day, but it's not going to help you make money online unless we have, you know, a more defined strategy. Yep. Um, so making sure that any client that I have actually has a strategy for traffic acquisition and conversions uh, has been huge. I actually turn down clients that they say, oh, we don't know, or we'll figure that out when we get there. It's like, hey, if you haven't figured that out, then you're not really ready to work with me. Uh, because the clients that I like to work with, they are already getting traffic, right? And they know that changing just one or two percentage points on their conversion rate is going to lead to massive explosion in revenue. And these are the clients that I like to help, the ones that I know for a fact that I'm going to be able to move the needle for their business. Not just you know a client that has enough money to kind of get this done. If it's not going to move the needle for your business, I'm going to tell you, you know what I mean? And I'm going to tell you what I think would move the needle for your business, even if it's not one of my services. Because at the end of the day, and this was kind of the ultimate lesson, it's the relationship I want to have with my clients is one of trust and respect, not one of employee-employer, right? Yeah. I want them to trust me as a subject matter expert that has very deep level of understanding of websites. And I want them to come to me knowing that I'm going to tell them exactly what they need to know. Right. And give it to them straight, even if they don't want to hear. It, right. Yeah. I so, agree. I think that uh, a big point that we like to make also whenever we are talking to prospective clients is that we don't want to just be seen as an extension of labor, but rather a strategic partner. Exactly. You know, someone that's going to be treated with the same respect and, understanding that the reason why we're working together is because we respect both of our expertise levels and that in this partnership, we can help each other grow. Um, but going back to the lessons, some of the lessons also must come from failures. And I feel like we've all had a few fuck ups that stand out in our minds as something that we kind of had to go through to learn something from, or we're hated at the moment, but glad that we went through it because now we are so much wiser. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to pick just a handful because I, I feel like I've been failing upwards since 2012. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the biggest failures that looking back might have felt like failures at the time were also the biggest, you know, sources of learning. You know what I mean? Um, I can remember the first time I got fired from my very first gig, right? It was like before I had that job at... Um, at the video game distributor, uh, I was brought in to essentially work at a mini agency before I knew what an agency was. 
Um, and I remember I got brought in because they really liked my graphic uh, resume and he wanted me to design a few different resumes for him uh, that had a few different skill sets. So I was brought in, you know, for a very short term period to design these, uh, these resumes for him. And, you know, I remember at that point in my career, I kind of needed uh, feedback and direction, right? I wasn't very autonomous in the way that I worked. Um, and this dude was constantly on calls. He, so he wasn't really available to give me feedback and direction. And I just kind of would wait. Uh, I would get to a certain point and then kind of feel stuck or, or that I needed feedback and revisions. And then I would wait until he was available to kind of chat. Um, and, you know, that, that translated to me not being able to work fast enough um, for, you know, what he needed and not at the level that he, he wanted. And I, you know, I got fired. Uh, mm -hmm. And I remember that even now, you know, eight, nine years later, because that's really what kind of lit that fire under me where I realized there's a lot that I don't know. And, you know, yeah, there are people who also really don't know what they're doing, which this guy I would categorize as he had no idea what he was doing. He was applying to jobs as himself and then employing other people that had those skills based on the jobs that would come in. So they would hire him to build a website and then he would go and turn around and, you know, hire a designer and hire a developer to go and build the website and he would, he would, you know, take a some percentage off the top and kind of pay these guys out. Um, and that's where I, I kind of was introduced to the agency model. <laughs> right. Sure. And once I kind of realized, wow, like there are people who do it very poorly like this guy. And then I started to see people who were doing it really well and that were making, you know, a million dollars a year, monthly recurring revenue or a million dollars a year. Um, I've seen people who have agencies that do, you know, a million dollars MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue. And for me, that was just um, amazing. I had never seen a business that could do that much money with so little overhead, right? And that's kind of one of the big reasons I got into uh, technology and digital entrepreneurship in the first place was I knew that I wanted to do something with business, um, but I didn't have any money. <laughs> I couldn't start any business everything that I thought of, it required some sort of capital to start. Um, but building things on the internet, it it's so cheap. You can buy a domain for $10. You can get hosting for $5 a month and you've got a business for 15 bucks. You know what I mean? What yeah. other kind of business can you start with $15? I can't think of anything. Yeah. I think it's something that I hear a lot and I, it's a hundred percent true. I think that there's also people on the other end that uh, don't realize that just because it's easier than ever to start a company doesn't mean that it's like that much harder to maintain and survive in, in, you know, the world because just being present the same way that you mentioned, like someone having a website, but not being able to drive traffic to it, you know, that that's really where the competitive aspect of it becomes real. It's, it's yeah. all cool. It's all fun and games when you have that brand that you put together and started and cool. I launched my website and then now what? You know, how, now what? Is there anyone walking through the doors or anyone visiting your site, discovering you and all that kind of stuff? So it's definitely an, an interesting world to live in. But 
um, it is exciting to at least have the opportunity to try. It, the barriers is gotten low enough that so many people can try now. Um, I did want to jump into a little bit about your process. I don't know if you wanted to kind of give us a rundown as to like what a process would be like for a client that's trying to build, let's say, like an e-commerce website or a recent project you've worked on and you can kind of framework the, the process of how you took them through what you did for them. Sure. So, I mean, every process that I have uh, starts with a call like this one where we just kind of, you know, talk. I, I meet you, you meet me. You know, you tell me a little bit more about your business and about what you're trying to accomplish. Um, from there, I can kind of figure out whether or not it would make sense for us to kind of work together. I classify clients into essentially two buckets. Um, they've got nothing or they've got something. So a client that has nothing is maybe they have an idea for an e-commerce store. Uh, maybe they even have a logo. Maybe they have a name. Maybe they have a domain. You know, they might have some things, but there's really nothing online that's driving them traffic that's making them money. So the process for that is a little bit different because it's about filling in the things you don't have. You know, do you have a brand? Do you have a brand guideline? You know, do you have a logo? Do you have a typeface? Do you have colors that represent your brand? You know, do you have a voice? Do you have a mission? You know, do you have clearly defined services? Who are your customers? Right. So if they have nothing, we have to kind of go through uh, a discovery period first. Uh, and normally what I like to do is sell it as a full project. Um, and the discovery period is one piece of it um, where we'll kind of hash out what your strategy is going to be for your website and who we're going to need in order to complete um, some of these missing items. Right. One of the unique things about my agency is we only do what we're really good at, which is kind of um, user experience optimization, right? So if you come to me, you say, hey, we want you to build a brand, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm going to tell you, hey, we're not the right partner for you to do that, but we can connect you with the right partner, right? So that you can get that done. A lot of the clients that I work with are clients that already have a website and already have traffic. And what they're trying to figure out is how can I convert more of these users? So for these clients that already have that, I go through a discovery phase as well, but it's slightly different. It's a paid discovery phase. It's called the website UX audit. One of the unique things that we do is we don't design based on our opinion. So if you tell me, hey, we want you to build our website, we know that you're a great web designer, just do it however you want, uh, I will turn you down. <laughs> that's, that's too much freedom for me personally, man. Um, I need some, some guardrails. I need some guidelines. Uh, and more importantly than that, I need some data uh, because I think that the best designs and the best websites are optimized over time, but also optimized using data. So what the UX audit process allows us to do is take a 360 degree look at a website and how it's performing, right? So we'll talk about, you know, what are your business goals and we'll have stakeholder interviews. Then we'll dive into your uh, analytics and we'll start to break down, you know, what are your top performing pages? How are bounces? How are exits? You know, how are conversions doing? Where in the world are people visiting from? How are they using the website? You know, at what point are they dropping off? So 
we look at this data and we start to build a really good picture of who your customers are uh, and what shortcomings the website currently has. Um, this is where we start to really identify red flags, things like, you know, hey, your top performing webs, uh, web page has a 80 or 90% bounce rate, which means people come in and then they immediately leave, right? If we can cut that in half and we can improve conversions a little bit, then we're able to capture more of that traffic. These are the kinds of insights that running an analytics kind of audit uh, helps us to, to extrapolate. So we'll go through the analytics. Once we have some of that data and some insights from analytics, we'll then run a competitive UX analysis. So we'll say, all right, who are the other big players that are notable in the industry that we need to be looking at what they're doing? And the reason why I do that is because I like to apply what's called the best dress rule. So if you go to a, a job interview and everybody else is wearing slacks and a polo, if you come in wearing a button down and a tie, you're going to automatically be more memorable to the person that's hiring you. Well, consumers do this on, on unconscious kind, in an unconscious kind of way when they're visiting your website. So they kind of judge you within you know, a couple seconds. And if they're quote unquote comparison buying, meaning they're going and checking out a few different options for the same thing, then they're going to maybe look at five, maybe look at 10. It doesn't really matter how many they look at, but they're probably going to pick two or three of the best looking websites, the best looking product, the best looking experience. And those are going to move up into the final bracket where they can then make a better decision and do more in-depth research for just these three competitors. Mm -hmm. So we run a competitive analysis and we look at, you know, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? We list out pros and cons, screenshot their entire website, upload that to a mood board, right? And we start compiling all this research on competitors. Once we have uh, that list of what competitors are doing well and what they're doing poorly, then we can move on to the next part of the audit, which is a review of core templates. So at that point, we'd say, all right, let's go and look at the actual website. Up until here, we haven't looked at the website other than that preliminary call. We've looked at competitors. We've looked at the data. Now, using this information and using the business stakeholders' input on what their goals are, we can start to look at this website with uh, more information in order to make better and more accurate uh, recommendations. So you might be saying, well, why do you look at the data before you look at the website? Well, if I look at the data and I see that 75% of users that are visiting the site are female, then I need to look at your website through that lens. Hey, you know, three out of four people that come here are actually female. So that means that we need to appeal to that audience a little bit better when we're actually designing the website or optimizing it. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing for mobile versus desktop. If 90% of your users are coming in via desktop, then we should be reviewing your website on desktop. And that's where the bulk of our optimizations need to come in, right? So the analytics data and the, the competitors really help us understand what we should be looking at for your specific needs and for your specific industry. At that point, we'll review the core templates and we'll start to see how you stack up to the competitors and how these templates you know, work for your current customers. Again, looking at things like time on page, bounce rates, exit rates, we're able to get a better understanding on how each page template is performing. Once that's done and we've kind of gone through and made all of our notes on everything, 
will go into the bulk of what we do for UX research, and that is generating usability suggestions. Um, so at that point, we'll take all of that abstract thinking that we did, and we'll start to distill that into actionable insights. Things like, hey, if you change this, it'll affect your conversions like this. Or if you change this, the user will have a better experience and it should reduce um, the amount of exits that are happening. Or if you implement an exit intent pop-up, uh, then maybe we can capture some of these users that are bouncing without actually completing an action, right? So it's it's been building up onto itself up until that point. We go and we talk about all the things that need to happen in order to make the website work for that business. And then we'll do some technical analysis. So this means uh, responsiveness testing. So we're able to pull from analytics what browsers are visiting the site, what screen sizes users are on, and most commonly uh, looking at your site through uh, what operating system they're on. And we'll run some actual responsiveness tests to make sure that the top devices, the top screen sizes, that everything looks great on those. And if they don't, we'll document them and we'll upload that research into a separate mood board for us to resolve later. Mm -hmm. From there, we'll run uh, accessibility testing where we'll go and make sure that the website is accessible for anyone. Um, so this means that people that have color blindness can use it, people that might have some sort of uh, learning disability that they would be able to use your website without a problem. Uh, and if there's any issues that we find, we'll document those and give you remediation steps so that you can take care of it or hire a professional that will be able to resolve that for you. And then finally, we'll run some performance testing because performance testing is actually a huge part of how Google decides to rank websites. Slow websites with a lot of bloat, you know, they get penalized more than websites that load really fast. Mm -hmm. um, so we look at that. We look at how the website is performing. And if we find any potential optimizations, we'll mention those as well. From there, we package everything that we kind of talked about, uh, and we put that into a spreadsheet. It's called the action items list, where we're able to annotate every single recommendation that we made. And usually it ends up being anywhere from 30 to 60 different things you can do on a website to actually optimize conversions and accomplish some of those business goals. Once that's done, we just have to prioritize the task for our clients and say, based on your uh, business goals and based on our experience, this is how much effort it's going to take to complete and this is how much impact it's going to have on your business. We put that on an effort impact matrix. Uh, and you know that's how we do our uh, discovery for existing websites that want to optimize traffic. Uh, from there, it's actually a way easier process, I find, to then go and design the website and get it developed because we front-loaded all of the thinking, all of the research. We did that in the beginning before everything else had to be done. So by the time we go to actually design your homepage, we have analytics data about your homepage. We have competitive references about you know, how their homepage is laid out, what conversion points they have on it, and who's doing it right, who's doing it wrong, and why, right? Mm -hmm. We have a really deep understanding of what your homepage is lacking uh, and what usability suggestions we were able to generate that would be able to improve that template. We also have you know, accessibility issues that we need to think about. We have responsiveness issues that we need to resolve. We have performance issues that we need to keep in mind, right? So when it comes time to design with all of that information, we end up with a much more valuable actual uh, website design, something that's, you know, it's 
going to resolve some of the issues that you came to me for in the first place, right? And I know that that's going to be resolved because we did the research, we I, we defined the problem, right? We, we discovered that what you wanted, we defined the problem, we designed um, potential solutions to the problem, and then we delivered it to you, right? As an actual wireframe or a UI design uh, and an actual website that works, right? So that's kind of the process in, in a nutshell. I can go really deep into the design process and into the development process, uh, but I think that if you're not going to actually go and do the research portion of things and you're not going to figure out what it is you want to build, why and how it gets you from point A to point B, it doesn't really matter what the design process is or the development process, right? You're kind of, you're, you might as well just go and install a theme and start putting in content. Yeah. In terms of the process, what would you say is the most creative part or at least your favorite part of it? It has to be actually sitting down the the very first time that you're, you've got the research done. Uh, so you know what needs to happen, right? And you've got these pages that you need to design. That for me, I think is the most creative part because it's it's pure problem solving. You know what I mean? You know what's wrong with it. You know what the competitors are doing. And now you need to be the best dressed in the room, <laughs> right? So you start to kind of go and come up with solutions that may or may not work. And the reason that I think that's the most creative part of the process is because it's highly dependent on your ability to iterate. So the first design that you do is not going to be the best design that you do. As soon as you learn to throw that first design away and kind of, you know, leave your ego at the door, that's where you'll start to really be able to build up on the design and iterate into something that's going to solve a problem elegantly, which I think that that's what design is all about, right? Because yep. if you can solve a problem, if the, the problem is you want to have a website, again, it's very easy to solve that. But if you want to elegantly resolve a problem that helps your business, then that's where all this design thinking starts to come in. And sitting down and looking at that blank canvas and, and going and laying down some blocks and figuring out the structure, figuring out the layouts and call to actions, and then actually designing it, I think that, that that's the most thrilling part of my job personally. Cool. Are there any specific spots you go to for inspiration whenever you're going to build out the websites or are you just like doing that through the research phase? So um, the research phase I think is an interesting part of my process because it, it kind of lets uh, all of the thinking and all of the 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 next steps for designing kind of marinate in my mind. So by the time I'm done doing this research, by the time the client has approved the proposal for the larger website project, um, I already have so many ideas that I'm itching to just kind of put something on paper and, and get something started. So I don't have like a specific place that I like to go. I I sit down at my desk and I just kind of you know, throw spaghetti at the wall for lack of a better term. You know, my desk is actually a giant whiteboard desk. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of write on it and kind of dump all of my different ideas on there um, until it gets to the point where it's like, hey, I need to put this into a design tool and start to, you know, increase the fidelity of my thinking, right? Where when you're kind of throwing that spaghetti to the wall and you're writing on whiteboards, it's very low fidelity, right? It's kind of, 
you're giving yourself the room to experiment with different ideas and see what's going to be the most effective idea at resolving that problem, right? Um, so I just like to kind of sit down and, and give myself uh, time and space to really think about those problems, think about, you know, potential solutions, and then start working up towards an idea that's really exciting for me or that I think would do a really great job. And, you know, that's, again, why we do the research, because at that point, I feel like I'm just a chef in the kitchen and I've got all my ingredients in front of me. I don't really have to turn around and, and go to the store and buy the ingredients and then come back to only realize I don't have a knife and then I got to go through the dishwasher and wash, wash my knife to cut something. Yeah. I've got everything in front of me and all I have to do is start designing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that's, that's worked for me. Uh, and it's very much a sandbox environment that I've kind of created for myself where, you know, I'm allowed to experiment. I'm allowed to make mistakes. I'm allowed to test things out that may not work and may not go to the client. Um, but in that process, you know, in that trial and error, you start to come up with things that, you know, maybe competitors aren't even doing that they hadn't even thought about because they hadn't gone through this really deep discovery phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that part of it. It's always great to actually start putting ideas on paper, on whiteboards, on screens, everywhere to actually start making it something more than just a thought that could go away. Um, are there any uh, resources that you would recommend for, let's say, aspiring web designers or people that are looking to get into UX UI? I mean, there's so many resources online. Um, it really depends on what you want to learn and being really realistic with which step of the process you're trying to, uh, to optimize, I think is important. Mm -hmm. For some people, they think that learning UX design is about learning a design tool and and you should go and learn Sketch or WXD or Figma. And, you know, one of the things that I believe personally is that a tool is just a tool. It's not going to make you any better or any worse. Um, it's, it's just something that you have to work with, you know. But the quality of what you create, it's very much based on, you know, what inputs you're allowing yourself to receive. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. if you only look at... at um, at post on Dribble, for example, you'll probably come up with really beautiful UI designs, right? Really beautiful visual designs, but it might not always work for the client. So for me, it's it's been about learning, you know, UX process uh, and what it means to, you know, define a problem and then come up with solutions. There's tons of different resources. There's um, interaction design. If you go and you look that up, there's a school for interaction design. They have all sorts of certification programs. They have all sorts of really cool um, courses that you can take. I like to read um, a lot of UX case studies and a lot of UX blogs. Um, so the the Nielsen Group, I think it's nngroup.com, uh, they have a really awesome blog and they publish you know information about heuristic evaluations and eye tracking studies. Right, really advanced UX things that you probably aren't going to get to implement unless you're working at an enterprise level company. And other than that, for me, I really like to learn more about how other people design things. So I like to go on YouTube. I like to watch a lot of tutorials. I like to just watch people designing uh, and kind of tackling a problem. 
And a lot of my career has been just kind of exposing myself to other designers and, you know, stealing pieces of their process for myself and saying, hey, I think I could actually use that. I'm just going to go and grab it and try to implement something similar. Um, so my process is a Frankenstein of, of all the different designers I've worked with, you know, all the different articles I've read, all the different courses that I've studied. Um, so I think that the best source of inspiration is finding people that are producing the work at the level that you want to be at and then trying to figure out, you know, what is their process? Like, how do they go through it? And sometimes, you know, it means buying a course or two so that you can learn from the person who's producing work at the level that you want to be at. Um, yeah. Um, are there any specific people that, let's say, just specifically in the UI, UX world that they should follow online or check out their blogs or check out their videos on YouTube? Are any For sure. You, you should definitely follow David Martin at UXHacks.com. <laughs> uh, but other than that, uh, there are some really awesome people in the UX space. It, it really depends what you're trying to do. If you're trying to get started in UX and you're trying to get a job in UX, uh, definitely go and follow Sarah Duty. Uh, she runs the UX Notebook and she helps people nail UX interviews, make better UX portfolios, and really start thinking about um, how their part of the project, which is the user experience design, how that impacts the end goal of the business, which I think is really valuable. Other than that, um, Pablo Stanley, um, he recently left and, and founded Blush, which is, um, I believe, a marketplace to, to buy and sell uh, illustration packs. So he's really interesting because he is a UX designer and an illustrator and an animator which is kind of the skill set I wish I had, but I ended up going more technical into like development and traffic acquisition. Um, but he's really cool because he makes comics about UX. So he kind of pokes fun at the entire industry, but at the same time, he does live streams and really cool um, kind of videos where you could see not just how he will go about building a UI, but how he would actually build a design system for using illustrations in a UI. So he's actually the first person I think that's ever, in my experience, uh, built an illustration system as a UI designer. Um, yeah. That's a relatively new concept, but you know that blew my mind. Um, the last person that I would recommend uh, is not a UI UX designer, but I think that you're gonna have to study his work at some point if you're gonna get really serious about it. And that's uh, Brad Frost. So Brad Frost, I like to call him uh, the grandfather of design systems uh, because he came up with the concept of atomic design. And that is essentially the concept of, you know, breaking down larger pages into smaller patterns. And then those smaller patterns have repeatable components. And those repeatable components are made out of really small elements. Um, and all those things can be interchanged when you're building out a website. Uh, so that it's easier to scale, easier to maintain, and more consistent across the board. So those three people, I think um, they really helped me kind of get used to being a UX designer and kind of understanding how UX designers think. Uh, the last one that I would recommend, even though I said the last one was the last one, would be Jared Spool. Um, so if, you, if you're on Twitter, Jared uh, is a really interesting guy to follow. Um, and he just kind of shares 
more of that traditional UX line of thinking where you actually go and and build out personas and map out customer journeys and really understand who your users are before you go and try to develop a solution for them. Yeah, uh, it's funny because you you saying customer journey reminded me of something I wanted to touch upon earlier, which is is that in itself the the fact that a lot of clients don't take into consideration the full customer journey, and that's why you know people like you and I or you know are working in the fields that we do is that there is its entire own thinking of all right, step aside from operating the business, which is difficult to do, you know, when you're an operator, uh, and and then now really focus on your customer. And the various customers you have, because it's not right. like you serve specifically one uh, unified personality and persona. So it's it's understanding that and then going back to the feedback of the data and, and learning from them and trying to see what's the best way to approach them if, if they really are someone you care about and want to foster that relationship. So, I, yeah, I think it's huge to, to really dive into it because it's not something that's fun for them to think about, but it's something that needs to be thought about. Um, because it, it, it's what ultimately leads to building the, the brand that's going to be there and, and have the, the most loyal customer base. Last thing would probably be, are there any interesting trends or, or like developments in UX UI that you're excited to see or that like blown your mind recently? Um, I mean, design systems for me, I think is is the big one for the past few years. Um, and the reason why is that it gets to a point where you start working with more sophisticated clients or maybe you're working in enterprise yourself and you realize, you know, it's not as clean as you thought, right? You might have thought, well, they have their website, you know, and, and everything is kind of run through there. But once you actually dive in, you start to realize, hey, these guys have, you know, a marketing website and they might have you know, an internal website for managing like their own internal knowledge for their employees. And then they might have several applications that are on different technology stacks. And you're trying to figure out how you can, you know, push an update so that instead of having all the buttons be blue, they're pink on every application. And normally it's like, that's a huge problem to solve. You would actually have to go and to each of those individual platforms and then go and update the code um, in order to make that update. But having your components in one place and then using them across all of your technology stacks is something that design systems allows you to do so that instead of maintaining, you know, five or six different applications, you're maintaining one set of components that pushes out to five or six different applications. So when I learned that, I mean, that blew my mind. The the fact that, you know, you can actually maintain multiple websites in a way that's scalable and that, you know, allows you to do less work, but accomplish more. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And actually, I started experimenting with then uh, building design systems that then generate WordPress themes automatically so that you're just maintaining a set of components and then anytime you make a change, you would just regenerate that theme uh, so that when you go and install it back into your website, you've got all the components already there. Um, it's a very experimental thing. Um, design systems for WordPress is not a thing yet, uh, yeah. but I'm very excited for the fact that we're getting closer to that. Right yeah. now, WordPress has um, Gutenberg, which has JavaScript components. And there are plenty of different people who have uh, JavaScript design systems 
already in place. So I don't know, one day, hopefully soon, someone will figure out how to actually generate components in a way that's really, really easy and plug that in as uh, Gutenberg blocks on WordPress. Um, and what I'm really excited about is the, the possibility of being able to, you know, build your assets one time. And then the day that you decide, hey, I want to build an app, instead of having to build it from scratch, you're building it with a library of components that you've already built. Yeah. Um, so less time for, for the developers, less money for you as the entrepreneur, right? And more effectiveness, more efficiency in general. Absolutely. Final question to wrap up. If there's a, a 10 year old, younger version of yourself out there right now, what would you tell them? What, would, what have you learned in the past 10 years that you feel you would tell yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's that's tough because, so what am I, 16 at that point? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, don't be so stubborn. Don't think that you can uh, learn it all by yourself. You know, go out and talk to people and be willing to lean into the role of being a student so that, you know, the things that would have taken you maybe 10 years to figure out, you would have figured out a lot sooner, right? If you would have just surrounded yourself with the people that are where you want to be. Awesome. Well, that pretty much wraps it up. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add, maybe uh, where everyone can follow you at. Yeah. I mean, I already plugged myself, but if you guys want to give me a follow, um, I'm pretty active on Twitter and on Instagram at UX Hacks. Um, If you are interested in kind of keeping up with what I'm working on uh, and getting, you know, the occasional email or two in your inbox about, UX strategy and website strategy, then you can go and sign up for my mailing list at uxhacks.com. If you were interested in uh, the website UX audit process that I described earlier on, uh, I give away a website UX audit checklist when you sign up for my email list. Um, So if that's something that you want to learn more about, definitely grab the checklist. It's a a really useful tool uh, that you could use to kind of make sure that you're looking at a website from every different angle and not just from you know, the aesthetic angle or the usability angle. Um, And yeah, if you're a a web designer and you run your own web design studio, I actually teach a a small course uh, about how to conduct your own website UX audits. Uh, And that's been a game changer for me because I used to charge, you know, my first website was like $300, maybe after that $800. It took me a few years to start charging about $3,000 for a website. Now I charge $3,000 just for the research and the strategy. Um, Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself has helped me close websites that are upwards of $20,000 as recently as, you know, just a few weeks ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because again, the, the research is done. The thinking is done. All the client has to do at that point is say, Hey, yeah, we're ready to invest in getting this done or no, we're not quite ready to invest in it yet. (laughs) But at least you were able to do the research and at least you got paid to do the research. So a huge mistake I made was, you know, pretending the research was always a part of the project when really nobody was ever paying me for that time. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. I've always been interested in what you do. So I'm glad that other people can get to hear about all the awesome things that you've been up to. Yeah. The internet is awesome. So. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks to you, man. Cheers.